welcome to this roundup artificial intelligence is proving to be a pivotal technology for human progress and advancement as artificial intelligence brings a profound and lasting shift in the nature of information and intelligence the demystification of patterns is rapidly shifting the relative balance of political economic and security power as seen AI that means artificial intelligence has leveled the information intelligence and innovation playing field for nations as a result understanding the broader trends of the resulting fundamental transformation across nations and all its components has become essential to discuss the AI trends for 2020 further i'm delighted to welcome pablo brewer to this round up pablo is an innovation officer at uh, donovan group he's a highly accomplished and decorated executive cybersecurity technology and innovation professional and in his prior positions he has been a lecturer at california state university he has also been chief of advanced threats branch executive director of the center for information warfare and innovation and he's based in the united states welcome pablo we are so very honored to have you on this ground up thanks so much for having me so wonderful so pablo so from your assessment Where is AI taking us? What are the AI trends that you see broadly that we should be watching out for in 2020? Uh, AI is kind of interesting. AI perennially comes back about every 15 years. The the last time it was really in vogue was in the late 90s where we talked about expert systems. Uh and what's changed between now and then is the ability to access large amounts of information and automate the way that in which we train those AI systems. Uh so we're we're reaching kind of the top of the the Gartner hype cycle. Uh what I see our artificial intelligence doing in the next 3 or 4 years is we're going to get better about deciding what kind of questions we can ask AI, uh use it to help guide uh human beings into making better decisions, but I think we're going to back away from letting artificial intelligence make decisions for us. So I think it's going to be a person in the loop trend as opposed to an automated uh trend without a person in the loop that's very interesting so you see that you know the humans we the humans have come to a conclusion that it's better that we stay in the loop to take decisions uh, and not let the ai algorithms take the decisions for us is that the trend that you see i i think that's the trend and if you look at particularly medical uh what they've started to do with AI and medicals are using AI to look at images so to identify cancer and tumors and those kind of things uh but they still have a doctor they they might have the AI highlight it they have a doctor verify and say yes i agree or no i don't agree with it uh and that's in large part because the stakes are so high anytime that you're dealing with with the health uh of of a person you really want to have a person in the loop uh but also because there's some fundamental computational limits to what Turing machines can do and therefore what uh, artificial intelligence machines running on Turing machines can do so do you see the possibility that once we overcome those computing challenges and uh, then we will be able to have much m- more you know control over the training uh, and you know the whatever uh, other you know variables that we need to make sure that the ai has to be able to get, take better intelligent decisions that it will be able to take because as the, as we see conversational ai is moving forward you know rapidly and uh, because of the conversational ai the what you just said that you know the interaction you know uh, what kind of questions we can ask you know ai algorithms all that is making much it's made 
taking a much more uh, you know difference and it's getting better and that is the difference that we see before you know the other you know ai revolution that we see you know a decade ago and between that and now because now we have much more control we have much more data as you just you know, mentioned because you know we everything is digitizing you know everyone and everything is getting on the internet and the, the connectivity and the presence the digital presence is giving us a lot more data from across nations now it's unfortunate that a lot of nations are you know starting to think of creating digital walls because what that will do is that the digital walls is going to create a barrier in how much data we can access from across nations so if we are looking at you know broadly about the human species human civilization what kind of problems we can solve using all the data that we have we will have access to that is getting a little bit more you know challenging now because you know the nations are going inwards and they are trying to control their own data so that uh, is in my assessment i think that that is going to be a problem if you are looking at you know trying to find answers to understand using the ai intelligence to understand the patterns of the from the global data that could be a challenge do you uh, do you see where do you see the the digital walls that are being created you know where do you see that taking us in our ai journey because there is a lot of promise with ai but it seems that digital walls and barriers are going to create obstacles for us um yeah so there there's all sorts of challenges with uh with artificial intelligence and there was a fantastic book written by Cathy O'Neill called uh Weapons of Math Destruction Weapons of Mathematics Destruction uh and, and she talks very eloquently and very simply about some of the problems with artificial intelligence one of the problems with artificial intelligence is you have to make sure that you have unbiased data to feed into heuristic and then you have to make sure that your heuristic is in and of itself unbiased and this is something that's tremendously difficult uh so much so that we end up with results that on the surface make sense but they lead to unintended consequences which leads to the second problem of ai which is right now we don't have what's called explainable ai we can see the information that went into the artificial intelligence heuristic and we can see see the decision that was made at the other end but we can't go back and go why did this input result in this output and so when you look at something as simple as uh self-navigating cars or autopilots uh, uh cars invariably there's going to be an accident and so there's going to have to be some sort of an investigation that happens says why did this accident happen was there bad data was it a bad decision with that was made was the heuristic model bad and and right now there's no way to investigate that which is why i suggest that at least for the near future we're going to have a human on the loop so that the ai can make suggestions but uh the human ultimately makes the decision and and even if you look at cutting edge technologies like the Tesla autopilot they say that you you the human is still driving um they they don't suggest that you fall asleep while the uh the artificial intelligence is driving um as far as warfare does I, as a my own personal uh, opinion I, i think automated wars would be a horrifying thing um and i think it would lead lead to a state of perpetual warfare uh, i i i think the reason we we go to warfare because we decide that the the losses incurred in war are less than the losses if we don't go to war so it's really kind of a survival instinct and we stop fighting when we realize that the the losses are so horrific that we're no longer willing to pay that cost 
well, if there's no human law, human life cost, there's no incentive to stop warring. And so we just end up in this perpetual warfare state. Um, I, if anything, I would tell you that I think that warfare has gotten a little too clean and a little too distant. I would humbly suggest that uh, if we're still dealing with the, the horrors of, of personal warfare and hand-to-hand combat like we did in World War I, uh, that we wouldn't be in a state where we've been at war now for, for 20 plus years. Yes, I, I hear you. I agree with you on that. I mean, these war, the warfares are evolving rapidly. But before we talk about the warfare, the other point that you made about the uh, integrity of the algorithms, that uh, by whether the data that we are getting, the information that we are getting and we are feeding to the AI algorithms, whether that is biased or not biased, whether that, that there is integrity in that data, that is one of the biggest challenges that, you know, uh, the advances uh, for, you know, based on AI is going to face because at this point we have no control over it. The data that uh, is being created in an enormous capacity on the social media and on you know, other sites, we have absolutely no way to know the integrity and credibility of the data. So uh, in the book that I just finished writing, you know, it will probably come out by the end of this month or probably in the beginning of next month. But that is something, you know, we have, uh, I have proposed in that, that, you know, we need a solution and I have suggested a solution, what kind of solution we should prepare so that we have a control over the integrity of any of the data that, you know, we are feeding to algorithms, not only algorithms, but even the data that, you know, human reads, you know, we, Everybody reads everything that is on the internet, and there is no way to know that what we are reading is a defect news or defect, or whether what we are watching is defect video or audio uh, or listening to audio. Are this all you know credible? Because there is no way the boundaries are blurring between right and wrong and truth and fake. So we need some sort of control over that. Otherwise, you know, we have no idea what kind of impact, what damage it would do to not only just uh, you know the decision making process or decisions, but also on the human mind and psych or psychology. So that is something we need to address. And I have addressed that in my book. And I hope that we can have a debate on that in the coming months. But the other point that you just made about the warfare, and it is very true that, you know, we, this AI-driven warfare, if we leave it to just that, we have no idea or we have no way of knowing where it will land. Because now the cyberspace has connected you know, aquaspace, geospace, and space, all these, you know, spaces are connected. And it has connected individuals and entities across nations, its government industries, organizations, and academia. So if you look at all these, you know, connectivity, and if the AI algorithm, you know, we let them, you know, decide the warfare, then we have no way of knowing where the warfare will land. And that is something we have to be concerned at this point also, because now, as we see in cyberspace, Cyber, because of the enormous complexity of the cybersecurity risks that are coming towards us, it, and also the AI-driven uh, cybersecurity uh, challenges that are coming, you know, AI is beginning to be used for the cybersecurity, you know, so, I mean, uh, offense and defense both. So as we, as the weapons are being developed using, you know, AI and cyber weapons are being developed using AI, and, and even the, you know, defense techniques and offensive techniques are, you know, driven by AI, we are already seeing, you know, in the beginning stages of the warfare, AI warfare that is happening in cyberspace. Where do you see this going? Yeah, I, I think at, at some point there's going to be an incident we're going to have to reevaluate. The, the problem with the, the data set going in is even, even if you take malfeasance out of it, even in academic settings where uh, 
researchers, you know, trained PhDs in research go out and collect data. They collect data uh, knowing that they've had to make certain allowances to reduce their sample size uh, and knowing that they've had to take certain things for granted. And those things typically get documented in their own research paper. Later on, another researcher comes along from a different field and sees this huge data trove and they use it for different research without necessarily fully understanding what assumptions were made when the data was collected and what the intended purpose was. And so that can lead to unintended bias. Um, the other thing is that, and I, I don't want to get through a deep, dark hole of epistemic uh, you know, discussions, but uh, truth with a capital T, universal truth, is, is really non-existent. And so things that are true from one vantage point are not true from another. There were some uh, really interesting results uh, based out of China when they try to come up with facial recognition based upon their assumptions of what people look like given their genetic background and using that in other parts of the world where the primary uh, genetic pool was not Chinese. And so that led to really interesting results. And it's not because they intended to be biased, but their sampling was just not correct for, for the intended use case. So certainly you have those issues and there are, you know, all sorts of unintended biases when you define the develop the heuristics uh, as, far, as far as the uh cyber warfare I, I hesitate to use the term cyber warfare but darpa a few years ago had the darpa grant challenge that they ran at uh at defcon which was automated uh vulnerability discovery and patching uh so certainly uh these ais are dual use that can be used for good as much as they can be used for bad uh and so one of the things that's required and unfortunately i see it far too few uh, universities is a requirement for ethics. I think that engineers and scientists, um, particularly in technology, have been really great about asking, how can we do X? I think very few of them have stopped ask, should we do X? Or if I develop X, how could it be misused and abused? And, and how do I put in baseline protections? I mean, certainly in hindsight, again, not wanting to pick on anybody in particular, but Facebook, if you're developing a social media site that you want college students and middle school students and high school students to use, uh, if you're a parent, it's easier for see that kids are going to use that to bully each other. The fact that that hadn't been considered and there were no baseline protections uh, doesn't speak well of the forethought that went into the engineering of that type of service. Uh, and, and they're uh, by no means the only one. We have similar problems with AI. We have similar problems with gene editing, uh, cyber, pretty much any area of, of research uh, where technology has evolved. We've asked how can we without asking, should we? True, very true. That question is so very essential. And the point that you made about China and that you brought up the facial recognition technology, I'm glad you did that because the if we look at these uh, and also the Facebook, they are all you know fitting in this together in the point that I'm trying to make is that surveillance, all these you know, AI-driven uh, surveillance technologies that we have developed. There was a time that you know surveillance was only... Uh, done by governments, you know, they only had the power to do that, the technology and the resources, only the governments had and only they had the power to do the surveillance. Now, any private industry, you know, any private company like Facebook or Apple or anyone, you know, uh, they all can do surveillance. So, uh, 
point, we know that uh, the surveillance is not going to end up into sabotage because all these things are connected. It's only the intent. Like if China, you know, is government is monitoring everyone through facial recognition technology. They are doing surveillance at a level that, you know, is unprecedented. And now if anybody wants to, you know, harm any citizen you know, that is trying to speak up against them or, you know, uh, that's going to be a problem and they want to eliminate it, then you know, it's very easy for them to sabotage in many ways, not, not just by killing that person, but also destroying that person in so many different ways. So the, the boundaries between surveillance and sabotage, they're all blurring very rapidly. And, you know, if China is an authoritarian nation, so their laws and, you know, the way of governance are very different. But if you look at, you know, the countries like United States, we have here, you know, democracy. And if uh, what China is doing or if that and what Facebook and other companies are trying to do here, if government tries to do that, then we would say that there will be a huge public backlash that, you know, government is overreaching their boundaries and, you know, they are trying to have all this uh, mass surveillance. But now we already have mass surveillance and that is dictated by the private industry. And, you know, everybody is willingly giving uh, their data without thinking of the consequences. So that is, isn't that a troubling trend that we are seeing that, you know, the surveillance trend and especially the AI-driven facial recognition technology and, you know, AI is getting integrated into everything. So it's not just the uh, facial recognition technology, but any algorithm, and, you know, the blockchain algorithm or any, you know, 5G algorithm, anything, you know, that can, you know, do surveillance now because the 5G is also a huge challenge coming towards us. If we use other things, you know, 5G technology, that it's going to, you know, be integrated into all the IoT devices across cyberspace, ecospace, geospace space. And, you know, everything is going to be vulnerable. Everything will be at risk because we don't know what commands are going to be given to that algorithm if we are using other countries, you know, 5G technology. So how do we prevent those kind of risks coming our way? Yeah, that, those are all excellent points. That goes back to Silicon Valley and, and, and the engineers haven't done a good job asking, should we instead of how can we? Uh, so uh, one of the talks I've been given of late is about how things, powers that used to only belong to nation states now belong to individual citizens. So uh, if you get into national decision uh, making and strategy, uh, you're often taught about what we call the instruments of national power. And the instruments of national power are those levers that a nation state can use to affect another nation state. Uh, canonically, they're known as the dime model. So diplomatic, informational, military, and economic. So if you take these independently, I'll leave the diplomatic alone for the time. Actually, let's talk about the dip diplomatic. Uh, there are virtual countries right now, such as BitNation. BitNation has no physical territory yet, has at this point, I believe, over 40 embassies around the world. Uh, will issue birth certificates, death certificates, marriage license, and so forth on the blockchain. They are recognized by other governments, such as Estonia. Uh, so... 
this is, again, without territory, there is this virtual nation that has a power that used to formally belong to uh, only a nation state. Informational, the, the ability to reach a mass populace. You know, in the 1980s, if you wanted to reach the whole of the American populace, you had better be the president of the United States and you would go to, you know, the three big networks, ABC, CBS and NBC at the time and say, look, you're going to put my address on at 7 p.m. on Monday night or I'm going to pull your license to transmit. Well, now we live in a world where Katy Perry reaches twice as many people as the president of the United States and 50 times the number of people as the prime minister of Britain uh, just by going through social media. And she answers to nobody. She doesn't have a suite of advisors that say, don't say this because it'll be misinterpreted in this part of the world. Uh, then when you go to the economic, the ability to print money used to belong to a nation state. Well, now we have cryptocurrency, uh, Bitcoin and Dogecoin and uh, Ethereum. Uh, all of these things are not based on, on governments or countries. They are based upon cryptographic algorithms. So again, the power to print money and assign value to that now belongs to individual citizens. Economic is the last one that's left. Uh, but as you pointed out, there are ways to automate uh, in intelligence for warfare. There are ways to automate uh, intelligence for cyber warfare. And so those things are going away. And it might be time for the world as a whole to come together and go and reevaluate what it means to be a nation state, what it means to be at warfare or not at warfare, what it means to have uh, a, a peer or a near peer that you interact with on, on a nation state level. So uh, certainly those things are of concern. Um, going back to the informational bit, one of the things that's gained a lot of traction in the last year is the use of deep fakes or fake videos. Um, that is particularly problematic. And the reason it's particularly problematic is we're rapidly approaching the point where the ability to create those deep fakes is going to be democratized. And what I mean by that is currently, if you want to make, create a really convincing deep fake, you're probably going to have to be a Hollywood studio or somebody with that level of knowledge and several hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment. In the next five years, you're going to be able to do it on your cell phone or on your laptop. And so the ability to create a deep fake where a world leader says or does the things that they wouldn't say or do and puts it out on social media to uh, tell a disinformation narrative are coming. And the problem with that is not just that they're convincing, but once somebody sees that, since they're already predestined to believe it, they're already pre-biased to believe it, not only do you have to get over the cognitive friction, but in order to explain to them that it's fake, you're going to have to explain some very deep science concepts. And most people aren't going to understand those deep science concepts. And so if you're a government and a deep fake of your, your president or your prime minister gets put up and you put it, your chief science advisor to explain all of the reasons in the metadata that these are uh, – that indicate that this is a fake, most people are going to look at it and go, well, I didn't believe the government to begin with. Now you're just trying to fool me. I know what I saw and I know what I heard. And so now's the time to start having those discussions and get ahead of those things uh, before they really cause some substantive problems. No, I, I think you made some very excellent points because those problems are very real. And the point that you made about the influence, who is influencing now, you know, any the examples that you gave, you know, anybody with a large social media account, 
with uh, without uh, that person you know we are not talk i'm not talking about any individual here but we do not know how, what that person says and how much vetting is done like you just you know mentioned about and uh, what the thoughts are what is the agenda behind saying that is it just to you know sell some product is it just to get more followers but you know what is being said there is no accountability of that and if we are seeing now i think the democratization of the destruction is already there cyberspace has given that power to pretty much you know every individual who has a computer and a, a internet connectivity to be able to do whatever that person wants to do you can create uh, uh, if you look at the outer layers of cyberspace you can create you know constructive uh, applications that would benefit the humanity or you can create destructive you know viruses malwares or anything and uh, try to you know destroy any nation and if you look at synthetic biology uh, then you know you can take bits and pieces of genes from uh, any place and you know any organism any animal plant and whatever or some gene banks and you know the rest of the code uh, brilliant computer scientists can write and create an entirely new pathogen uh, democratization of destruction and do it yourself moment they have brought us so many challenges that we have no capability at least you know at this point to be able to know who is developing what and whether you know those uh, uh, applications that are being developed or any other projects that people are working on in their basement in garage or whatever that you know that is going to benefit that is for the benefit of the humanity or benefit of the nations they have no way to know that so when the democratization of destruction is ongoing and is so rapid you know and so rampant we we are still you know depending for the governance of security challenges only for the from the government and when the rest of the power is shifting how can we you know depend only on government to be able to be account or for the accountability of the security risks that are coming our way and how can even governments and military control all these you know destructive power that is coming our way because the power is shifting the ability to do all this thing is shifting and we still depend only on the government and military for you know them to protect us Yeah th- so those are all very tough challenges and there's a fine line between uh being cautious and and your regulation and putting out protective measures and stifling innovation and so that that's a careful balance one of the problems that we have is often the legislators aren't knowledgeable enough about what they're legislating uh and there's just too much out there for them to know so what we really need is a non-partisan office in government uh with a pool of subject matter experts and with a network an even larger network of subject matter experts so that as congress and and other legislators think about how they're going to regulate artificial intelligence that they can hear from non-partisan experts on here are the concerns and here are the pros and here's the cons. Unfortunately what's happening now is when we get that we get that strictly either from partisan players because they've been appointed by whoever was voted in or you get uh industry and and they have their own bias because they want to be allowed to run their product out as quickly as possible uh and make a maximum amount of profit with a minimum amount of regulation. uh and and so there's got to be a balance i think we've gone a little bit too far to the let anything happen we need to come back uh in the 
late 90s, the uh, internet industry convinced the U.S. Congress that they should not be regulated like a media because it would stifle innovation. Uh, and the result of that is when you see a political ad on television or radio, or you hear one on radio, you have to be told who paid for it. When you see that same ad on Facebook or on a website, you have no idea who's paying for it because there's no legal requirement to let you know. Maybe it's time to go back and re-examine those kind of rules and say, hey, listen, media used to be television and radio. Now media is television and radio and the Internet. Um, I think that news organizations should go back and uh, ask themselves if they would be, rather be right or first. Uh, we've had several incidents where uh, professional journalists who are fine professionals in uh, a, a rush to be the first haven't done the fact checking that we're accustomed to and have put out bad information. Uh, addition to that, then the, we've got some nefarious actors. So we were talking before we uh, we got into this interview that uh, we, we just came out of a situation where it looked like we might go to war with Iran. One of the interesting things that happened yesterday was that several legitimate uh, journalists, uh, social media accounts were hacked and several legitimate news organizations uh, accounts were hacked and they were they put out false information uh, towards one side. So how do you prevent that? How do you assure, how do you do a retraction? Uh, because in a, a time and date of instant gratification, uh, you have to have a way to slow things down so that you can verify that they're true or at least get out ahead and go, oh, something got put out that's not quite true. I need to get to this before it gets to the, the proverbial presses uh, and people take action on those things. So certainly uh, this is a this isn't a technology problem. This is a people problem enabled by technology. And we need to look for people solutions. It's very true, and uh, that those are very complex challenges. Because if you look at this, we we are advancing rapidly with the human computer interfaces and brain computer interfaces. I mean, uh, the example that you gave is is still a very you know I would say primitive that you know somebody had the account and the uh, information was put out that was uh, looking you know one sided and uh, but actually if there is a warfare happening using some technology you know going towards mind control technologies and uh, then you know that is that is not happening at this point you know i just want to make uh, sure that you know people don't get afraid when they listen to this that but in the future these are futuristic scenarios that we are talking about you know strategic security you know is all about uh, vis visualizing what could happen in the coming years and if these interfaces are developing rapidly and then uh, there is there is no way we can guarantee the security of those interfaces because then the, those interfaces could be used for both good and bad. And uh, once it is, you know, since the beginning of the discussion, we have been talking about this, that uh, once that information gets into any human mind, even if we give them all scientific evidence, all, you know, data uh, to prove that it was wrong, once the information has got into them, they will believe what they want to believe and it's impossible to change that narrative even now 
the truth is only in the human being's mind, you know, irrespective of whether that truth is truth or whether that is, you know, falsehood. But what we want to believe, we just believe that. So once all that information is already out there and the manipulation is already going off human mind, it is very difficult for any, you know, technology to change that or any narrative to change that human narrative, you know. So how we will control that mass, you know, indoctrination of those ideas and all that, those are very complex challenges. And that is why when we, you know, launched Risk Group, I made sure that we are going to stay totally nonpartisan. We do not belong to any political ideology. I am an independent, you know, I don't uh, support any political ideology because for as a risk professional, as a strategic security risk professional, our only goal is to look out for the future of the humanity. And we want to make sure that we don't let any of the bias influence our you know, decision-making process. And the point that you made is excellent that we do need an office that looks at all these issues in a non-partisan way and you know gives the recommendation how to even regulate because regulating blockchain regulating ai and all that is not going to be an easy you know uh, challenge because when we have a democratization of destruction the democratic uh, we we have to come up with new models and i have proposed a model in my book but we will talk about that you know in future episode the we need a new way we need new systems we need a new way of looking at the things, you know, how we can control, how we can govern all these emerging technologies, because now we are not in a time frame where, you know, we get one disruptive technology and for 100 years we don't see another disruptive technology. We are going to witness so many disruptive technologies every now and then, and uh, this is just the beginning. So we do need a new way of, you know, uh, looking at all these problems. And uh, while we the progress is good about the data uh, privacy and all, but still it is... Uh, solutions that are emerging from Europe, they are not going to make any dent in the security because any solution that comes without integration of, you know, the security is never going to work. And uh, all these solutions are, you know, developed in silo and we need to come up with an entirely new way of handling that. So having said that, how do you see human, I mean, we talked enough about the risk and, you know, warfare and the challenges, but how do you see the human society evolving you know, beyond 2020, where do you see this going? If you look at just only the benefits, you know, we talked enough about the challenges. Let's talk about the benefit and positive things, you know, that uh, this technology advances can bring us. Sure. So uh, th there's lots of advantages. First of all, I think that there's going to be a societal change. We're really still in, in kind of the early stages of this this technological society that we're in. And in a lot of ways, we're kind of like kids with a new toy. We've, we've got a technology and we just want to use it. We don't necessarily know what for, but we want to use it. I think we're going to get better about deciding what problems technology can help us solve, what problems technology can aid us in, and what problems we really shouldn't use technology for. So none of these problems are what I like to call silver bullet problems or like they're what I like to call a thousand bullet problems. They require technology and ethics and legal and policy changes and uh, people to start talking to each other and people to put themselves in uncomfortable situations where they listen to uh, views of the opposing side. And they, they require some societal changes. Um, they also require that we really fundamentally understand where the information is coming from and how it's being collected. So that being said, um, democratization can be a wonderful thing. We talked about all of the bad things about democratization, democratization of destruction and democratization of creation of misinformation. 
We have also got the democratization of education. There are fantastic uh, educational opportunities for people to reach world-class education where they might not otherwise have had the opportunity. Uh, telemedicine, democratization of uh, medical care, uh, those things are wonderful. Telecommunications, the ability to reach just about anybody in the world. Uh, I, I mean, we really live in, in, in a space age time. Uh, imagine uh, going back to the 1950s uh, and trying to explain to them that in the future, they're going to have the ability to hold a device in their hand with which they can access the sum total of human knowledge and that we use it to send cat videos and memes. It's ludicrous, but that's really the world we live in. Uh, where we can sit there disconnected from just about anything and take a device out of our pocket uh, and look up anything. Um, now, what we're not good at is figuring out if the answer that we're getting when we're looking information up is the correct answer, but I suspect we'll get better. Uh, and that, that's a data provenance issue. Yes, very true. Now, the points that you made are excellent because as we move forward, the, all these amazing advances and the democratization of uh, innovation and knowledge, you know, and uh, platforms that are being, being created, that they are bringing very transformative, you know, uh, sorry about that, changes for the human society. And yes, we can all, you know, benefit from that. We can all take advantage of that. Now you can just go to Khan Academy and you can learn anything. You know, there are many, many, you know, websites. I mean, MIT and all the Stanford, they also uh, have, you know, released all the courses, you know, many of the courses, uh, information uh, just, you know, on their website and anybody can access that. So there, there are a lot of access points and uh, anybody who has the drive and hunger to know, to learn, then, you know, there is no more uh, obstacle. There are no more hurdles for that. Anybody can learn. Anybody can educate themselves. So those are all wonderful things that are coming our way. And at the same time, uh, as, you know, millions of people, especially the young generation, you know, that is emerging, uh, that is coming out of the high schools, colleges, you know, that uh, that want to make a difference. They are all driven, you know, to uh, use these emerging technologies and bring some transformative changes. There is also need for accountability because the point that you just made about, you know, what problems to solve, I think that is at the heart of, you know, any progress and advancement. And everyone who is uh, trying to get involved or who is involved into developing innovations, uh, any new idea that is emerging, any imagination uh, that, you know, any individual has, individually or collectively, you know, then we have to look at, you know, the future of the humanity, the future of human species civilization, that what problems we want to solve and the problems that we want to solve, how should we go there so that, you know, we can, any solution that we develop, that, you know, we can have the broader, you know, masses, you know, across nation, not just for one country, but, you know, across uh, the entire, you know, human species, everybody can adapt that, you know, adopt to that so that we can bring positive changes that we want to bring to say that, what would you like to tell the, you know, to our global viewers and listeners, uh, how to approach that, you know, what problems to ask and, you know, how to make a decision on where to, you know, invest the resources as, you know, because you have the, the, been doing this for so long, you know, you are uh, heading the organization, you know, uh, for the innovation for uh, the thought leadership uh, for the U.S. Navy and the think tank. And you have been seeing the challenges, you are witnessing the challenges. So what would you like to tell those young, brilliant minds where to focus and where not to get distracted? Yeah, so I, just a small clarification. I'm, I'm certainly not the, the head of Navy Innovation. I'm, I'm just, you know, one officer in a in, in a think tank uh, working for 
for uh, Special Operations Command. So the first one is surround yourself with brilliant people. Uh, the second one is never stop learning. Um, one of the wonderful things about uh, young people is they're not as limited by the biases that most of us collect as we live our lives. Um, my favorite question that I get asked is why. Uh, if I get asked how, I usually can explain how something works. In order to answer why, you really have to know how it works uh, or why not. Uh, and so uh, because that's the way we've done it or because that's the way it works is, is usually a weak answer. Uh, and what it usually indicates is that you're probably on the right track and your solution might be another way to do that. Um, one of the wonderful things about the young people is they've grown up in an interconnected world. If you're in Mumbai and you want to talk to somebody in Canada, you can do that. You hop on you know, Instagram or Wired or Signal or Facebook, and you can do that. Uh, that was something that was not available before. And so what you can do is you can draw from a much larger pool of expertise, a march, much larger experience pool, and from uh, far more multifaceted views than we could in the past. And so that's a real strength. And the fact that you can do that in, in near instantaneous time uh, is wonderful. Uh, so learn from history, learn the mistakes that were made, learn the things that went wrong, but don't be limited by those things. Let them advise you, but don't be limited by the way that things were done in the past. Uh, and if you can dream it up, you can probably do it these days. So uh, get some uh, outside views from outside of your bubble uh, and uh, make sure that your, your views aren't quite so biased and, and try it out. That's excellent advice. And thank you for the clarification on the point about the heading of the organization. So I'm uh, sure that our global viewers and listeners are going to benefit from what you did, the excellent advice and points that you just gave them that don't limit yourself. You know, that is very, very true and uh, don't have any biases. And uh, I see that, you know, uh, the emerging uh, drive that we see in so many countries of you know all these individuals where they want to take their country what problems to solve uh, that's absolutely you know uh, very heartwarming you know to see that the kind of drive everybody has these days so thank you so much pablo for participating in risk roundup today we appreciate your thoughtful insight on the ai trends in 2020 and even if a single individual or entity can understand the trends and disruption uh, both constructive as well as destructive happening, you know, uh, across nations uh, based on the discussion we had today. This is kind of dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much, Pablo. So Risk Roundup, a global initiative launched by Risk Group, is a security risk reporting for risk emerging from existing and emerging technologies, technology convergence and transformation happening across cyberspace, aquaspace, geospace and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security and peace they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. And it's not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts fit into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security so if you build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risks together. For more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup video audio podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayshree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.